You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast, episode 27, for October 19th, 2008. Warning. This episode contains mature themes and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome back to another episode of the Metamore City Podcast. I'm recording this on the Saturday evening after my podcaster meetup with Jay Daniel Sawyer and Seth Harwood. We had a good turnout with about 10 people in total, and it was a great time of hanging out, getting to know each other, and sharing that sense of community that podcasting does such a great job of creating. Thank you to everyone for coming, and I look forward to hanging out with all of you again soon. And an extra big thanks to Dan, without whom none of it would have happened. To those who missed it, we were thinking of you. And don't worry, because we will definitely be doing this again. Now then, I know you all hate to be kept waiting, so let's get right into it. It's Making the Cut, Chapter 18, and I'm here to introduce the chapter are two of my favorite people in podcasting, Chooch and Viv. Greetings, Metamorphs. This is Chooch. And this is Viv. From the City of Heroes podcast... And into the blender. And we're here to bring you the story so far. Brian, Fiona, and Callie have successfully completed their raid on Viscount Security Solutions, but it didn't go as smoothly as they'd hoped. Upon breaking into the vault, they were assaulted by the Night Watchman, a vampire who was stationed inside the vault. They managed to stake him, but not before he set off an alarm that sent an enemy fire team after our heroes. Brian started a massive electrical fire to cover their escape, destroying most of Viscount's computer systems in the process. With the help of Hive Elder Miriam Bakhtavar, Brian and the others fled the facility and disappeared into Metamore City traffic. Meanwhile, the ritual spell cast by Rebecca and Sasha has reawakened Daniel Shrabi's suppressed personality. For the moment, though, his female alter ego Danny is still in control of their body. Daniel realized with terror that Danny had taken most of their shared memories for her own, leaving him with little to ground him in a sense of identity. The one thing she left him with is the thing she doesn't want, Daniel's memory of his relationship with Rebecca. Now, Sasha and Becca are on their way to find Danny in the hope that they can awaken Daniel back to full consciousness and help him reclaim the body that Danny has taken over. Chapter 18 Sasha gritted her teeth and tried to focus on driving. Miriam had just sent her the images from outside Viscount Security Solutions. A team of vampires were going inside, with more watching the emergency exit. She tried to reach out for some sign of Brian or Fiona while the blast doors were open, but the reception area was shielded just like the outer walls, and it acted as a sort of airlock against magical or psionic intrusion. The blast door slid shut again, and Miriam's espers lost the vision. I should be there, she thought bitterly. I should be helping Brian and Fee get out of that damned office, not trying to rescue Daniel Sharabi from his own stupid decisions. Damn it, couldn't have Rebecca waited a day to try this? Rebecca gave her a hurt look. I can hear you, you know. Sasha winced. Shit, I'm sorry, Bex. I didn't want to send that. Maybe not, but you still meant it. 
She crossed her arms over her swollen belly. Could you wait if it was Fiona that was in trouble? What if Jared figures out what he can do and learns how to control it? That happens and we might never get Daniel back. Sasha reached up and fingered her crucifix. The thought of Fiona getting turned into something she wasn't horrified her. She felt a fresh stirring of pity for Daniel. Rebecca found her hand and clasped it. I love Brian and Fee too, but they've got Elder Bakhtavar and her team looking out for him. Daniel's got nobody except me. She looked out the window at the buildings rushing past. And I haven't been there for him like I ought to. Sasha tried to swallow the lump in her throat. You're right. I'm sorry, Rebecca. I'm with you on this. Really. I just... You're afraid I'm choosing Daniel over our family. You're afraid we're going to break up over this. I'm not blaming you. Not just you, anyway. I just... I'm thinking of all the things that could happen if we get Daniel back, and what it would mean for us if we do. I already know you're not going to let him just go back to living without you. Rebecca shook her head, saying nothing. Right. So what's that going to look like? There's the four of us, and then you've got Daniel on the side? Is he going to be happy with that, just sleeping with you and never having any kids of his own? What happens to our children if you decide you want to live with him instead of us? Rebecca looked at her sharply, then hesitated. Sasha could tell that the reality of the situation was sinking in. Daniel's an androgyne now. He changed so that he'd have a place in the collective, right? He could join us. Sasha grimaced. That's got its own set of problems, Bex. We still don't know if we can undo whatever Jared did to Danny. If she's going to be part of the family, she has to be ready to commit her life to all of us, not just you. If she can't do that, or if the rest of us can't live with her, then it could tear us apart faster than if you just had an affair. Rebecca nodded heavily. Yeah, I know. She squeezed Sasha's hand again. Promise you'll at least try? Sasha squeezed back. Of course I will. I just don't want you to get your hopes up too much. If you do this, it isn't going to be easy. Nothing that matters ever is. Just then a sudden rush of thoughts broke into Miriam's mind link. Brian? Fee? They're alive. Miriam said quickly. She sounded distracted. Uh, Hold on, Sasha. I need to help get them out. The link went disconcertingly quiet. Sasha looked at the clock on the dashboard of the skimmer and started counting the seconds. After two minutes and twenty-three seconds, the link opened up again. She heard Miriam, Brian, and Fiona, all of them sounding exhausted and relieved. We did it, Sash. The intel's out. No casualties. Thank Eli. Sasha whispered, wiping tears out of her eyes. She focused her thoughts again and added, We're on our way to get Daniel now. Becca thinks he's ready to come out as soon as he gets a chance. Fiona's mind reached out and brushed tentatively against hers. Be careful, both of you. Sasha returned the touch, sending a wordless assent back to her. Rebecca joined them a moment later and did likewise. They had so much to say to each other, so many things that needed to be set right, but they needed to do it face to face. By unspoken agreement, they let it rest for now. See you back at the nest, Brian said. Then he and Fiona withdrew from the link. 
Sasha turned her eyes to the citadel looming before them. One rescue coming up. Miriam took Brian, Fiona, and Callie to the subway station at the east end of the square. While they seemed to have made a clean getaway, they couldn't be completely sure that the vampires weren't following the skimmer. The station was a major transfer point for people traveling to and from the Citadel, which made it easy for them to disappear into the chaos of the Friday night crowds. Once they were certain they weren't being followed, they put on disguise charms and boarded a train for home. Meanwhile, two of Miriam's agents used their own charms to impersonate Brian and Fiona. Brian never saw them, but he knew that they would let themselves be seen boarding a long-distance train to Inador. Vampires couldn't survive in the Holy Land's mana-dead terrain, so Miriam's people would probably be safe from any reprisals. They must be awfully loyal to you to just uproot their lives like that, Callie said. Miriam chuckled. Oh, they don't live in Metamore City, child. They're friends of mine from the Yesalem Hive. I wasn't born in Metamore, you know. The runner smirked. With a name like Bakhtavar, I figured. Leaning back in her chair, she turned to Brian and raised an eyebrow. So, you ready to settle up? Of course. Brian pulled out his mobile phone and sent the text message that would order the transfer of 150,000 marks into Callie's account. Done. He offered a hand to her. We couldn't have gotten out of there without you, Callie. Thank you. Callie gripped his hand and grinned. Hey, I couldn't have gotten into there without you, so we're even. Once Malcolm gets over wanting to kill me, this is going to do great things for my rep. And how long will that take? Callie shrugged. Probably not too long. Two or three months, I'm guessing. Good runners are hard to find, and Malcolm's not the type to let a grudge stand in the way of business. Brian hoped she was right. The damage to Viscount's office would be covered by their insurance company, but the damage to their reputation might linger for years. Clients would have a hard time believing in Viscount's security systems when word got out that their home office had been cracked. A chime sounded overhead, and a synth voice spoke from the loudspeakers. Now approaching Morrison 29. Callie got to her feet and turned to look at them. This is my stop. It's been great working with you guys. Brian smiled. Keep it on the bright side, Callie. She winked at him. Thanks, but the bright side isn't where I work. (laughs) I guess not. Callie's eyes fell on Miriam, and her expression grew serious. Good luck finding that girl, she said, her voice uncharacteristically subdued. Just be careful, okay? This Victor guy? I know his type. You take something away from him, he's not going to forget it. The doors of the train slid open and she stepped out onto the platform. There she hesitated, clenching her jaw while people pressed past her on the way into or out of the car. Kelly? A chime sounded, warning pedestrians to step away from the doors. She turned and looked back at them. Philippe Devereaux didn't kill your people. I never worked with him. Brian gaped at her. What? But then the doors closed and Callie stepped back out of the red zone. She locked eyes with Miriam and stared at her until the train pulled away from the station. Miriam sat back in her seat, visibly shaken. What is it, Elder? What did she tell you? Miriam looked up at them. It took several seconds for her to find her voice. She said... 
that Victor deceived everyone he's ever worked with. She swallowed. And that we should kill him the first chance we get. Sasha stood with Rebecca at the entrance to the park, looking out over the stands of trees planted here and there throughout the enormous chamber. Lots of places to get lost in here. Do you see them? Rebecca's eyes glowed yellow, and after a moment she nodded. That way, she said, gesturing toward the transparent dome at the far end of the park. They're in a little clearing close to the edge. Looks like they're already asleep. Sasha looked at the clock on her phone and almost laughed. She'd been expecting to stake out the area for a couple of hours at least. It was only a quarter to one. Wow. Quite the endurance champ Danny's got there. Rebecca grimaced, her eyes returning to normal. Well, there's a mostly empty bottle of wine next to him, and two empty wrappers for shimmer tabs. That would do it. Let's do this before they sleep it off, then. They made their way across the park toward Danny and Jared's hiding spot, Rebecca leading the way. When they got close, Becca gestured to the specific strand of trees, and Sasha went ahead without her. Her time with M.I.D. had trained her in how to move quickly and quietly in any terrain. A pair of sleeping sighs was a lot easier to sneak up on than most of the things she'd faced on her missions. She found Danny and Jared lying naked on a picnic blanket, Danny's head pillowed on Jared's chest. Neither of them stirred as she crept up beside them. Now here comes the hard part. Reaching out with her telepathy, she gently brushed against the minds of the two lovers. She waited there for a long moment, listening. Jared and Danny floated in a dreamless sleep, their thoughts calm and sluggish. But underneath the surface of Danny's mind, a third voice stirred in response to Sasha's touch. Who? It's me, Daniel. The voice seemed to perk up at that. Sasha! Sasha could see thought patterns changing all over Danny's brain, as Daniel's submerged personality suddenly realized that it could take over. Stay calm, Sasha commanded, putting a sigh compulsion behind the words. Jared's right underneath you and we don't want to wake him up. She felt a sudden rush of confused emotions run through Daniel's mind. Yeah. Sasha, I think I'm going crazy. At first, I was Danny, but now it's it's like Danny's this other person inside my head, and she's been taking all of my memories and leaving me locked inside her, and... I know. We'll talk about it later, okay? For now, I want you to get up slowly. Get your clothes on and follow me out of here. Rebecca's waiting for you. Rebecca? She... She came back for me? If Daniel had been in full control of his body at that moment, Sasha was sure he would have burst into tears. She pushed harder on his emotions, dampening them under the weight of raw telepathic force. She needed him calm and rational if they were going to get out of here without waking Jared. Of course she did, you dummy. She loves you. Now get that body moving for Eli's sake. Okay, just a sec. It doesn't respond to me very well like this. I... I think I've got a... Before Sasha's eyes, Danny's body began to change. Her breasts shrank, her hips became slimmer, her face became more androgynous. She opened her eyes and carefully got to her feet, her eyes on Jared the entire time. As she turned, Sasha saw that Danny, Daniel, was now at least technically male. He still looked very effeminate, though, especially since he was still wearing Danny's makeup. 
In a dress, he could have passed for a flat-chested woman without any trouble. You can't change back more than that? Sasha asked, wondering how Rebecca would react to seeing him like this. Daniel looked down and blushed. I... I probably could. He mouthed the words while he sent them. He was probably still feeling the effects of the alcohol, and Daniel had never been a strong teep in the first place. It's just... I still need to fit into Danny's clothes. Sasha glanced at the scattered clothes and nodded, conceding the point. She began collecting garments and handing them to Daniel, who put them on as quickly and quietly as possible. If there's anything you need at Jared's place, we should get it tonight before he wakes up. I don't think it's safe for you to see him again. Daniel looked at her sharply. You think he'd hurt me? Not on purpose, no. But he has some kind of power over Danny, and we don't understand what it is or how to block it. I see. He pulled on his pants and shirt, then turned to look at her. I feel like I should be freaking out right now, but I'm not. Is that you? She nodded. Thank you. Thank me by being faster. It's taking a lot out of me to keep this compulsion going. You've got a lot of emotions in there, and they're all screaming to get out. Daniel winced. That doesn't sound promising. Would you rather I left you here? Daniel looked down at Jared, then raised his own hand to look at it. A diamond engagement ring sparkled on his fourth finger. That's a complicated question. Sasha gaped. What of Eli? It was that serious? Daniel pulled off the ring and held it up to the light, his expression torn. Really do love each other, he said, picking up the clamshell box and putting the ring inside. The trouble is, neither of them love me. He put the box next to Jared. He leaned in closely to look at the other man's face, and Sasha saw in his eyes such longing and regret that she thought Daniel was going to kiss him goodbye. After a moment, though, he closed his eyes and turned away. Setting his jaw, he rose stiffly to his feet and strode to the edge of the clearing. Let's go. While I still can. Just as Sasha had promised, Rebecca was waiting for them on the other side of the trees. She rushed to embrace him, but he stopped her with an upraised hand and a shake of his head. Her face fell. Daniel? She sent, sounding hurt and confused as she touched his mind. He gestured over his shoulder. Not here, he said, mouthing the words. It was so hard to form the thoughts clearly enough to send them, but he didn't dare speak aloud. It's too close. The things I need to tell you? Even Sasha won't be able to keep me steady. She bit her lip and nodded. She didn't like it, but she understood. She turned and fell into step behind him as they fled the park. They entered the express lift that would take them back down to the ground floor. Halfway down, a surge of sudden grief and fear rose up out of nowhere and wrapped its claws around Daniel's heart. He staggered and fell back against the wall of the lift, unable to speak, hardly even able to breathe. Daniel! Rebecca's terror surged through his mind, amplifying the crushing feeling in his chest. Damn it! Sasha hissed. She grabbed his head in her hands and shoved her thoughts inside him, pushing down on his emotions with renewed effort. Gradually, the pain faded, replaced by the dull numbness of Sasha's mind control. 
That ought to have made him even more terrified, given what he'd been through the last few weeks, but he actually felt relieved. He looked up at Sasha. Her eyes were bloodshot, and a trickle of red ran from her nose. She took slow, deep, steady breaths as she kept her eyes fixed on him. Sorry, she breathed, with the distracted air of someone performing ritual magic or handling high explosives. Lost my hold on it for a second there. Daniel took a deep breath, then took her hand in his own. Just hold me together long enough to get me to the skimmer. Becca, I need you to take down directions to Jared's place. We already know how to get there. Rebecca sounded like she was fighting back tears, too. Don't worry. I'll make sure we get all the stuff that's important to you. Daniel thought of the engagement ring and fought back the feelings of loss that tried to seep through Sasha's shield. Thanks, Bex. He turned back to Sasha. Later, before we leave the condo, I'm going to need your help again. To... To write a letter. He swallowed back the lump in his throat. He deserves to know why. Can you do that for me? I'll try. He squeezed her hand and nodded. Thank you. The lift doors chimed and slid open, revealing the ground floor lobby. Daniel rose unsteadily to his feet and got out, clutching Sasha's hand on one side and Rebecca's on the other. The nightlife was still going strong in the Citadel's plazas. No one paid them any attention as they made their way back to the lift for the parking garage. Once they reached Sasha's skimmer, Rebecca opened the back door and got inside, gesturing for Daniel to follow. He did so, then looked back at Sasha. The whites of her eyes had turned completely red. All right, he said as Rebecca wrapped her arms around him. You can let go now. She did so. Half a second later, his world collapsed. How's it look? At the other end of the phone line, Nathan snorted. Who knows? This is top-of-the-line crypto, man. It could be weeks before we even have a rough idea of what you recovered. Actually making sense of it all could take months. Brian sighed. <sighs> Alright. Pull in everybody you can get on the decrypt. I figure every code cracker in the hive is going to want to get a piece of this one. Wouldn't bet against you. I'll see who I can dig up. The rest of the collective may want in on this, too. Great. Send it to the Yamato Hive and let them start playing with it. Maybe by the time they call it a night, I'll have finally gotten some sleep. Aye, aye, Captain. See you when the world turns. Brian rang off and turned to Miriam, who sat on one of the living room chairs with her hands in her lap and her eyes closed. Any word from the Hive? She turned her head and looked at him, her eyes slowly coming into focus. Yes. Most of them are asleep, but those who had heard the news are greatly impressed. Even with the data still encrypted, the hard copies prove that the Syndicate is developing a nanotech weapon of some kind. Once we know its purpose and specifications, we should be able to counter it. Fiona leaned back against the kitchen counter and crossed her arms. What about the manufacturer? If they are crafting weapons to use against telepaths, then a reprisal would seem to be in order. Miriam sighed. I don't disagree, Fiona, but that isn't our fight. I will pass the word to the Kitchland Hives and let them deal with the nanotech laboratory. They may find better ways of 
persuading the lab to break its ties to the syndicate. She smiled. For you, the battle is over. You have more than proven yourselves to the rest of the hive. It's time for your cell to get back to doing what it was made to do. Fiona looked away from both of them. Her hand rose unconsciously toward her birth control amulet, then stopped halfway and lowered again. Miriam rose to her feet. And now I think I shall take my leave of you. I'm afraid this is well past my bedtime. Brian and Fiona bowed, and Miriam returned the gesture. Thank you for your help, Elder Bakhtavar. It's good to know that there's at least one person in the Hive's leadership who hasn't lost touch with her conscience. She gave him a rueful smile. I should hope there is more than one for all our sakes, but I do thank you for the compliment, and good night to you both. After Miriam had left, Fiona went over to the couch and sat down. She perched on the front half of the cushion, her back stiff. She stared out the window at the lights of the city and said nothing. Brian turned on the phone again and called Sasha. We'll be home soon. We're at the condo getting Daniel's things, or at least the important stuff. We're going to have to leave a lot behind. How's he doing? There was a long pause. He's a mess, love. She said, her voice full of pity. Sobbing, screaming, clutching Rebecca like the world's gonna end if he lets go. He's apologizing a lot, mostly to her, I think, but to some other people, too. It's hard to tell what he's saying a lot of the time. Brian frowned. You can't read his mind? To be honest, I've been doing my best to stay away from him, at least mentally. I'm going to need all my strength to help him write his goodbye letter. Brian winced. So, what? You left them in the skimmer and you're loading the boxes by yourself? Pretty much. It's not that big a deal. We can't fit that much in the trunk anyway. Mostly it's just a matter of hunting for the things Rebecca tells me he'll want to keep. Well, don't stay there too long. I'd rather replace some of his clothes than risk you being there when Jared gets back. No kidding. I'll call you when we're ready to leave. See you soon, love. You too. Sasha paused. Is Fiona there? Brian looked up to see Fiona standing in front of him, hand outstretched. Just a second. He handed her the phone. Fiona raised the phone to her ear. Her eyes drifted to Brian, then to the hallway leading to the bedrooms, then back to Brian. At last she spoke, apparently deciding to stay where she was. Hello, love. Brian was still close enough to hear Sasha's voice through the phone speaker. Hey, Fee. I, uh... I guess I don't have much to say that can't wait until later. After that mission, I just wanted to hear your voice. Fiona closed her eyes. And I yours. She paused, then opened her eyes, looking straight at Brian. I have a problem, Sasha. Normally, that was the sort of straight line that Sasha would have gleefully grabbed hold of, but she wasn't joking tonight. What is it, love? Fiona reached up and touched her birth control amulet. Fear. The line went silent for a moment. Tell me about the fear. Fiona glanced at the clock on the stove. I will. But later. You need to finish your work there and come home. She looked down at the floor. And then I promise to tell you. Brian's heart swelled then with sudden pride. When Fiona had said her goodbyes and turned off the phone, he took her in his arms and held her tightly. 
That was brave of you, he said, his voice warm with approval. She huffed a quiet laugh. Ha! Amusing, isn't it? How honesty can require more bravery than a firefight? Brian kissed her. Just a different kind of bravery. You can do this, V. We'll help you. She nodded, but didn't look completely convinced. I can't take off the amulet. Not yet. These feelings of mine are not going to go away just because I acknowledge them. Of course not. Brian reached up and placed his hand over her chest. You can keep this for as long as you feel you need to. Sasha will have our next child. That'll give you another six months to work this out. He shrugged. And if you're not ready by then, we can wait. She placed her hand over his, then leaned in and kissed him again. I appreciate your faith. You must be taking lessons from Sasha. (laughs) I'm a long way from having Sasha's faith. Eli and I still have some trust issues. He reached up and caressed her cheek. But faith in you? That's easy. Dear Jared, I think that writing this may be the hardest thing I've ever done. I wish I didn't have to. I wish there were some other way. But then the fates have never really shown much interest in what I wanted, so why should now be any different? I was a fool. I had no idea what the curse would do to me, how much it would change me. Evan and Ava make it look easy, but it's not. Ava warned me that I would be two different people, but I never really understood that until now. Danny loves you. She really, truly does. But Danny's only half of who I am. This me, the Daniel me, that's the other half. And between you and Danny, there wasn't any room for me. I know you said that it didn't bother you, but I don't think you knew what dating an androgyne actually means. You can't just take one of us and expect the other to go away. I would have been like a brother to you, but you didn't want me. You just wanted Danny, always and forever. And you can't have her that way. Danny's stronger than me, and most of the time she can shut me up. But if she spends all her time fighting me, she'll never be at peace. We'll never be a whole person. That's why I have to go. If I could leave Danny with you, believe me, I would. But we're stuck together, and we always will be. So I'm going, until she and I can figure out how to live together. How to find a life that both of us can share. I'm not going back to the apartment. Please don't try to find me. I've got to work this out, and I'll never be able to do that if you're here. Goodbye, Jared. I am truly sorry. I wish to the gods that things were different. Daniel. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast right after these messages.
Now hear this. Now hear this. This is the author speaking. All hands report to download stations. All hands report to download stations. This is not a drill. Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, is now available on iTunes and Podiobooks.com as a free audio download. When he graduates from the academy at Port Newmar, Ishmael Horatio Huang reports for duty in his first assignment as an officer. When he gets to his new ship, he finds things are not exactly the way he learned in school. Join third mate Ishmael Huang and the crew of the William Tinker as they discover new meanings in the phrase deep dark. All hands report to download stations to get Double Share by Nathan Lowell from iTunes or Podiobooks.com today. That is all. Out there in the potosphere, there lives a man that heroes fear. A supervillain, strong and foul, with darkened cape and blackened cowl. He spends his free time in his home with mixer board and microphone and runs his mouth so all can see the benefits of villainy. Horror, fantasy, and fiction are the subjects of his diction. Comics, books, movies, TV, he talks about them all, you see. But secretly, he hopes to win some followers to worship him, an army he can then direct against any hero he can detect. How can you hear his mad remarks? Just listen to Into the Dark. Download, listen, but remain calm at ComputerKingOnline.com Hi, this is PC Herring, author of Cybrosis, a podcast novel coming in 2009 from www.cybrosisnovel.com and you are listening to episode 27 of the Metamore City Podcast. Welcome back, Metamorphs. Before I do anything else, I want to give a big thanks to Scott and Clippy on the Metamore Studios production team. Thanks to their tireless efforts, we are finally getting this podcasting schedule under control. That means that I've been able to get back to things like writing. As a matter of fact, on September 30th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time, I completed the first full draft of Making the Cut. Yes, after 31 chapters, 191,000 words, and 16 months of blood, sweat, and tears, the book is finally done. It's in the hands of the beta readers now, and there may be some changes before it reaches you, the listeners, but on the whole, I'm very happy with how the book has turned out. I hope that you folks feel the same way. Now, let's get to some feedback. Hi, Chris. This is Scott Roche, a.k.a. Spiritual Tramp from www.spiritualtramp.com and archangelnovel.com. I just wanted to say that I heard your request recently for a redistribution of the call flood. And so I'm just sending you this little audio file to let you know that it's been an honor to help you out with Metamore City. Um... Not to overstate it, it's a bit like, well, I mean, it's exactly like getting a call from your favorite author and then requesting for me to help them edit their work. And that's exactly what it has been. And it's been a great experience. I've really enjoyed it. And I just want to say that I'm looking forward to any feedback that you have on Archangel. As I saw in T and Chat's comment that you might be listening to it soon. I think you really are the best podcast novelist that I listen to. 
And that's a pretty large number. I think I listened to somewhere, have listened to somewhere between, I'll say, 8 and 12 authors. And that includes a bunch of names that you know and maybe some names that you don't. And hands down, uh, best writer out there, in some cases by a thin margin, but hands down. And I look forward to hearing more from you in the future and I look forward to the all of the many, many books, podcasts, and other creative com- content that you'll be putting out. And uh, that's it for now. And feel free to play this just for your own amusement or put it in your podcast or whatever you want to do with it. I just want you to know that's from the heart, Chris. And uh, I wish you luck in your teaching endeavors and blessings. And uh, see you on Twitter. Much love, brother. Bye. Wow. Let me tell you, folks, that's the sort of feedback that we writers live for. Thank you so much, Scott, for the very encouraging words, as well as your tireless help in editing the show. I haven't started Archangel yet, but when I do, I'll be sure to let you know what I think. Joseph Peterson writes, Howdy, I'm pretty new to Metamore City. I was brought here by the power of myrrh. Her recommendation in the intro for your story of the third wave made me decide to check it out. Hey, thanks, Murr. I usually don't listen to incomplete novels, but the short story sucked me in, and I decided that I might be far enough back that you'll stay ahead of me. But after hearing one of the bonus interviews, I wonder, how many episodes do you predict this will take? Well, now that the book is finished, Joe, I can tell you that there are 31 chapters, which means that there are 13 more after this one. At least one of those chapters will be a two-parter, so there will be at least 14 more episodes in making the cut. He continues, Also, I've noticed that there is a lot of extra information in the story so far sections. I am not a fan of that. I often think, how did I miss that? A couple of times I had to skim through the previous episode to figure out where the points were brought up. I never found them. Is that intentional? Well, not exactly. The story so far doesn't just recap the previous episode. It's designed to remind people of any important details that were covered earlier in the podcast that would be necessary to understand what's going on in the current episode. Sometimes that means bringing in details from the short stories, like the nature of Callie's powers. Sometimes it means that I spell something out explicitly in the story so far that was shown or alluded to in a more subtle way in the text itself. And sometimes it means setting up for a change of scene that would be obvious in a written work, but might be a bit disorienting in audio. One of the problems with recaps is that you can never be as artistic with them as you can be with full-length prose. On the other hand, sometimes that's a good thing, because people may miss details in audio that they would be able to go back and see more easily in a written work. I always want to make sure that people have the chance to stay engaged with the story, and I would rather give them too much assistance on that front than too little especially since I like to play things more subtly during the story itself. Thanks for writing in, Joe. The next letter is one of the coolest bits of feedback I've ever gotten. Tom writes, Hi, Chris. I thought that I would drop you a note to say that the structure of the church that you have created for your world is quite attractive. I really enjoy your characterization of the churches and their interaction, as well as their race on Detra. I find that as a Catholic priest, the churches each have some characteristics that I like, and I wonder what their sacramental theology would be like. 
My bishop and I have talked about your podcast. It has certainly created a wonderful platform to explore what we believe in the lens of your two churches. Well, thank you very much for writing in, Tom. It's very cool to think that the Marias Church and the Ecclesia in Metamore City are stimulating theological discussion in the real world. I want to get into exploring more of the philosophy and culture of these two churches when it makes sense to do so, but as I've said in previous episodes, the story always comes first. In the meantime, I sent Tom some of the background info on both churches from the Metamore City Writers Wiki, which I hope will prove useful in his ongoing dialogue with his bishop. If you'd like to chime in with your thoughts on the show, you can call our voicemail line at 206-350-7333. I always love hearing your feedback, folks, so please don't be shy about calling. You can also email your comments in text or audio to feedback at metamorphcity.com. If you want to talk about the show with other metamorphs, you can join the discussion forums. Those are over at thecursed.org. If you want to help spread the word about the show, please leave a review for us over at iTunes. Just go to metamorphcity.com and click the subscribe in iTunes button. It'll take you to the show's description page and you can post your review there. That's all for this week, Metamorphs. I'll talk to you again in two. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Additional music was provided by Michael Massey through magnatune.com. Magnatune.com, they are not evil. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org.